Well, most people love a good party, but mostly when we have a party, it is to celebrate something, isn't it? We get together perhaps to celebrate someone's birthday or an engagement, a wedding, a retirement. There's some things we do each year like Christmas. Maybe you've had a big celebration recently. Maybe you've hit a milestone and had some family or friends together to celebrate. Over the last three weeks, and this is the last week that we're looking at the book of Esther, we've been working our way through Esther, but in this last section and especially in the last chapter of Esther, we find out that the reason that the book of Esther was written was to tell God's people to celebrate. Esther is actually the institution of an annual Jewish festival called Purim, which the Jews still have to this day every year to remember their rescue. Turn with me, keep your finger in Esther where we're, what was just read, chapter 5, but turn with me to chapter 9 at the end of the book of Esther and verse 20. That's right here at the end that we find out why the book of Esther was written. Esther 9.20. Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned to joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote to them to observe the days as as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. It's kind of like Christmas time, celebrating, giving gifts to one another. That's where we're heading at the end of the book of Esther. It is a great celebration of the rescue that God achieves and God wants his people to remember it forever. So let's look at that rescue starting at chapter 5. Now in order to appreciate any rescue, you need to know what people are being rescued from. And if you've missed the last two weeks of Esther, it really is like walking in on a movie halfway. We're just about to get to the final battle, the final car chase. The romance is over. It is time for action. The problem is if you've just walked in halfway, you don't know who the goodies are. You don't know who the baddies are. You don't know what's happening. So let me fill you in. Haman, he's the enemy of God's people. He has been given the king's signet ring, which symbolizes all of the king's power. And Haman has issued an order that we saw last week that all of God's people will be destroyed. Now, in Australia, the government can make a law one day and change it the next. We see that, don't we? But the law of the Medes and Persians is unchangeable. That means once a law is put there, it cannot be repealed. So this law for the killing of the Jews, it cannot be changed. Meanwhile, a Jewish girl called Esther, in a bizarre set of circumstances, has come to be queen. She's a Jew, she's married to King Xerxes, and King Xerxes is just about to kill all the Jews. He doesn't know that Esther is a Jew. That's where we left it last week, with Esther just about to go into King Xerxes and tell him the truth about who she is. And last week we ended with Esther saying to her uncle Mordecai, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And so in Esther 5, 
which was just lovely, wonderfully read for us, Esther goes to King Xerxes. Verse 1, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting in his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. This is the moment Esther, without being called, has gone into the king's inner court. And he can respond in two ways. He can have Esther put to death for coming in unsummoned, or he can extend his scepter to her and show her grace, which is what he does. Verse 2, when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. What a relief. Things are going well for Esther. Verse 3, then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, and it will be given you. Things are going very well for Esther. The king basically says, Esther, I'll give you whatever you want. And so Esther tells King Xerxes she's a Jew. Well, that's what we expect, don't we? But she doesn't. She stalls. Verse 4, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Perhaps here Esther's being shrewd and she's worked out she's got a better chance of getting a good result if King Xerxes has some wine in him. Remember, he has wine-induced good moods. Or maybe she's just chickened out. We're not told. But she gets a few drinks into Xerxes at the banquet and then she asks him what he wants. Verse 8, he asks her what, what she wants and again she stalls him. If the king regards me with favour, verse 8, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. This is like announcing the winner on MasterChef. You're just about to get it, and up comes the ball of flame and the ad break. This whole thing gets dragged out and dragged out. The problem is, while it gets dragged out, things are actually getting worse for Esther and God's people. On the way home from the banquet, Haman gets upset at once again that Mordecai won't bow down to him. Now remember, Haman and Mordecai are enemies. Their family feud goes back for generations. Haman's in a rage, and his wife gives him some advice. There's nothing worse than a grumpy husband, so here's some good wifely advice. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows built, 75 feet high, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go with the king to dinner and be happy. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the gallows built. Now this gallows is huge. We are talking a five-story building. This is as tall as the tallest building in Dubbo, Oliver House. Haman builds it in a day, in that day. Mordecai will be hung on it tomorrow. Chapter 6, night comes. The night before Mordecai is to be hung. King Xerxes can't get to sleep. Another coincidence. Have you ever had a night where you can't sleep? What do you do? Have a, have a warm drink of milk? Watch the TV? Go for a walk? Have a cup of tea? King Xerxes decides to read. I've done that. He decides to read a book about himself. 
he reads his own autobiography. For chapter 6, verse 1. Gotta love King Xerxes. That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. So King Xerxes is sitting up in bed. He can't sleep. He's listening to the history of his reign, all his exploits. Then things start to get exciting because what is read to him is the time when two of his own officials were going to assassinate him. And then he reads how Mordecai came to his rescue and reported it. And then he gets wondering, how is Mordecai being rewarded for rescuing me? Verse 3, it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honour and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Now, if you are a king, and especially a king like a king like Xerxes, and someone uncovers a plot on your life, you want to reward them so that there's an incentive for the next person to report it and the next person to report it. And what comes next is comical. King Xerxes is thinking how to reward Mordecai, and Haman appears. Remember, he's just finished building the gallows. He's up at the crack of dawn to hang Mordecai. Haman doesn't know what he's walking into. Esther 6 and verse 4. The king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honour? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honour than me? So Haman gives a great answer. He, He just thinks of the best possible scenario he can. So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honour, well, have them bring in the royal robe the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden with a royal crest placed on his head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honour, lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Not a bad package that Haman has come up with, because he thinks this is going to happen to him. Big disappointment, verse 10. Go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe, and the horse, and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse, he robed Mordecai, he led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is to be done for the man the king delights to honour. Afterwards, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Now listen to this advice. It's changed. His advisers and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. 
See, this is a complete reversal. Even the enemies of God's people are starting to see God at work to rescue his people. This is the first of three reversals in the book of Esther where the tables are turned. Mordecai was about to be hanged. He's now being paraded around on horseback by Haman. The second reversal comes in chapter 7. It's the next day. They're at the next banquet. Haman's there. Esther's there. And Xerxes is there with his wine. And Xerxes asks Esther for a third time, what is it that she wants? This time she spits it out. She tells Xerxes everything. Verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favour with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. When Xerxes hears this, he is outraged. He can't believe someone would want to kill his queen and her people. He says to Esther, who is it? She says, it's Haman. Things are completely turned around. Xerxes is so angry, he has to go out for a walk in the garden to cool down. Just when things look like they can't get any worse for Haman, they do. Verse 7. The king got up in a rage, left his wine. That's a big thing for Xerxes to do, leave his wine behind, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she's with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And just at that moment, someone pipes in. Hey, did anyone notice that Haman has a gallows in his backyard? Verse 9. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows, 75 feet high, stands by Haman's house. He had made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, hang him on it. And so they hung Haman. And again, it is a complete reversal. The king even takes his signet ring in chapter 8 that he'd given to Haman, and he gives it to Mordecai. There's still one problem, though. Can you remember what it is? The law of the Medes and Persians can't be reversed. And Haman has already given a command for the Jews to be destroyed. And even though Haman is dead, his law still stands. And so in the last reversal of chapter 8, Mordecai doesn't reverse the law, but he puts out a new law. Verse 11 of chapter 8. The king's edict, through Mordecai, granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill and annihilate any armed force or any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. Now we might think that's a bit crazy. There's one edict to attack the Jews and there's another edict for the Jews to defend themselves against the people who are attacking them, which the edicts come from the same king. But it's clear to everyone what is going on. Haman, who made the first edict, he is hanging 
on the gallows. I don't think the soldiers are going to be trying too hard to carry out what he commanded. And when the second edict goes out, everyone celebrates. They know what it's about. Verse 16. For the Jews it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honour. In every province and in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating. And many of the people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Not only are the Jews celebrating, now everyone wants to be a Jew. And then they even start an annual celebration called Purim to remember every year what happened in the book of Esther. Verse 27, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and the time appointed. Now that's what the book of Esther is about. God completely turns the tables. There is a complete reversal. Haman, God's enemies, God's enemy is hanging on the gallows. Mordecai has been promoted to second in charge and God's people are feasting instead of fasting. It's a great story. But as great as it is, the best thing about the book of Esther is that it points us to the cross where our tables were turned where Jesus turned our fasting into feasting. When Jesus died, it looked like Jesus' enemies had won. Herod and Pontius Pilate conspired against Jesus to kill him. It looked like Satan had the victory. The Son of God was nailed to a cross to die. And then God completely turns the tables. Jesus' death was not his defeat. It was his victory because Jesus gave his life in our place. Peter says this in his first sermon in Acts 2. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The reversal couldn't be more spectacular. And if anything is worth celebrating, that is worth celebrating. God wants us to laugh and rejoice over what Jesus has done for us. In a group this size, though, there will most likely be some of you who are not yet Christians. If you're here today and you are not trusting in Jesus, then according to Esther, you have no reason to rejoice. Life may look okay for you for a while. Things might go all right for a while, but your enemy will eventually defeat you. And you will have nothing to hang on to but the gallows like Haman. See, there's only one outcome in this world. God wins. His enemies are defeated. So if you're not on God's side, you need to change sides. You need to do what those people in Susa did at the end of the book of Esther and get onto God's side. You need to put your trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive you. But what a great reminder that is for the rest of us. 
if you are a follower of Jesus, it's not because you're a good person. It's not because you're strong and able to stand up to the devil and resist him. It's because Jesus has defeated our enemy for us. He's taken away our sin, nailing it to the cross. And that's why when you read the Bible, Christians are described as people who rejoice. People who put aside our petty differences and together we marvel at the gospel. And that's not to say that life is always easy for us. If any book shows us that, Esther shows us that. But Esther gives us hope even in times of trial. It gives us confidence that even when things look dark, God is for us. Esther asked Mordecai and the Jews to fast and pray, and God heard their plea. Peter tells us as Christians, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In Esther, nothing could get between God and his people, not King Xerxes, not Haman, not the entire Persian army. For followers of Jesus, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Even when we're struggling, the Bible gives us something to celebrate. The creator of the universe cares for you. He sustains you in trials. He holds you in the palm of his hand. He brings you through to victory because he can never lose. God is in control and in the end, he wins. Now that's something to celebrate. I'm going to pray, but before I do, I thought it might be good just to pause for 30 seconds or so. If you're not a Christian, I just want you to ponder Esther and what Jesus did and the implications for you. And if you'd like to, ask God to forgive you. Tell him you want to be on his side. If you are a Christian, why don't you think about one thing that you can do this week to celebrate, to rejoice in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Just think of one thing. Maybe it is that you will just turn up to your small group and instead of at prayer time thinking of something tough coming up in the week to pray for, how about you go along with a praise point of something that God has done this week. Maybe write a letter to someone or put a post on Facebook celebrating something that Jesus has done. Maybe do a painting or something crazy and just celebrating Jesus' victory in the cross and give it away. Maybe when you do family devotions this week, just... Decide that you're going to do it real joyfully and model to your children what it it means to rejoice in Jesus. Maybe next week, instead of just coming along here frantic and dumping yourself in in the seat for church, you spend some time preparing and coming ready to celebrate. Just think of one thing to do this week where you can celebrate the, the victory that Jesus has done. And then I'll pray. eternal, who always rescues his people. And Father, what a great and lasting victory over Satan and sin and death that you have won for us. Father, we want to rejoice and be joyful in that. And please, by your Spirit, 
bring about in us joy as a response to what you have done. That this work, this week, we might be people who celebrate your victory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.